Section 37 of Mark Twain's Autobiography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. New York, Thursday, January 18, 1906. Senator Tillman of South Carolina has been making a speech, day before yesterday, of uh, frank and intimate criticism of the President, the President of the United States, as he calls him, whereas, so far as my knowledge goes, there has been no such functionary as President of the United States for forty years, perhaps, if we accept Cleveland. I do not call to mind any other President of the United States. There may have been one or two, perhaps one or two, who were not always and persistently Presidents of the Republican Party, but were now and then, for brief intervals, really presidents of the United States. Tillman introduces into this speech the matter of the expulsion of Mrs. Morris from the White House, and I think his arraignment of the president was a good and capable piece of work. At any rate, his handling of it suited me very well and tasted very good in my mouth. I was glad that there was somebody to take this matter up, whether from a generous motive or from a, an ungenerous one, and give it an airing. It was needed. The whole nation and the entire press have been sitting by in meek and slavish silence, everybody privately wishing just as was my own case, that some person with some sense of the priorities would rise up and denounce this outrage as it ought to be denounced. Tillman makes a point which charms me. I wanted to use it myself days ago, but I was already arranging a scheme in another matter of public concern which may invite a brick or two in my direction, and one entertainment of this sort at a time is plenty for me. That point was this, that the President is always prodigal of letters and telegrams to Tom, Dick, and Harry about everything and nothing. He seems never to lack time from his real duties to attend to duties that do not exist. So, at the very time when he should have been throwing off one or two little lines to say to Mrs. Morris and her friends that, being a gentleman, he was hastening to say he was sorry that his assistant secretary had been turning the nation's official mansion into a sailor boarding-house, and that he would admonish Mr. Barnes and the rest of the reception-room garrison, to deal more gently with the airing in future, and to abstain from any conduct in the White House which would rank as disgraceful in any other respectable dwelling in the land. I don't like Tillman. His second cousin killed an editor three years ago without giving that editor a chance to defend himself. I recognize that it is almost always wise, and often in a manner necessary, to 
kill an editor, but I think that when a man is a United States senator, he ought to require his second cousin to refrain as long as he can, and then do it in a handsome way, running some personal risk himself. I have not known Tillman to do many things that were greatly to his credit during his political life, but I am glad of the position he has taken this time. The President has persistently refused to listen to such friends of his as are not insane, men who have tried to persuade him to disavow Mr. Barnes' conduct and express regret for that occurrence. And now Mr. Tillman uses that point which I spoke of a minute ago, and uses it with telling effect. He reminds the Senate that at the very time that the President's dignity would not allow him to send to Mrs. Morris or her friends a kindly and regretful line, he had time enough to send a note of compliment and admiration to a prize-fighter in the far west. If the President had been an unpopular person, that point would have been seized upon early and much and disastrous notice taken of it. But, as I have suggested before, the nation and the newspapers have maintained a loyal and humiliated silence about it, and have waited prayerfully and hopefully for some reckless person to say the things which were in their hearts, and which they could not bear to utter. Mrs. Morris embarrasses the situation and extends and keeps alive the discomfort of eighty million people by lingering along near death, yet neither rallying nor dying, to do either would relieve the tension. For the present the discomfort must continue. Mr. Tillman certainly has not chloroformed it. We buried John Malone this morning. His old friends of the Players Club attended in a body. It was the second time in my life that I had been present at a Catholic funeral, and as I sat in the church my mind went back, by natural process, to that other one, and the contrast strongly interested me. That first one was the funeral of the Empress of Austria, who was assassinated six or eight years ago. There was a great concourse of the ancient nobility of the Austrian Empire, and as that patchwork of old kingdoms and principalities consists of nineteen states and eleven nationalities, and as these nobles came clothed in the costumes which their ancestors were accustomed to wear on state occasions three, four, or five centuries ago, the variety and magnificence of the costumes made a picture which cast far into the shade all the notions of splendor and magnificence which in the course of my life I had accumulated from the opera, the theater, picture galleries, and from books. Gold, silver, jewels, silks, satins, velvets, they were all there in 
brilliant and beautiful confusion and in that sort of perfect harmony which nature herself observes and is master of when she paints and groups her flowers and her forests and floods them with sunshine the military and civic milliners of the middle ages knew their trade infinite as was the variety of the costumes displayed there was not an ugly one not one that was a discordant note in the harmony or an offense to the eye when those massed costumes were still they were transcendently beautiful when the mass stirred the slightest movement set the jewels and metals and bright colors afire and swept it with flashing lights which sent a sort of ecstasy of delight through me but it was different this morning this morning the clothes were all alike they were simple and devoid of color the players were clothed as they are always clothed except that they wore the high silk hat of ceremony yet in its way john malone's funeral was as impressive as had been that of the empress there was no inequality between john malone and the empress except the artificial inequalities which have been invented and established by man's childish vanity the empress and john were just equals in the essentials of goodness of heart and a blameless life both passed by the onlooker in their coffins respected esteemed honored both traveled the same road from the church bound for the same resting-place according to catholic doctrine purgatory to be removed thence to a better land or to remain in purgatory accordingly as the contributions of their friends in cash or prayer shall determine the priest told us in an admirably framed speech about john's destination and the terms upon which he might continue his journey or must remain in purgatory john was poor his friends are poor the empress was rich her friends are rich john malone's prospects are not good and i lament it perhaps i am in error in saying i have been present at only two catholic funerals i think i was present at one in virginia city nevada in the neighborhood of forty years ago or perhaps it was down in esmeralda on the borders of california but if it happened the memory of it can hardly be said to exist it is so indistinct i did attend one or two funerals maybe a dozen out there funerals of desperadoes who had tried to purify society by exterminating other desperadoes and did accomplish the purification though not according to the program which they had laid out for this office also i attended some funerals of persons who had fallen in duels and maybe it was a duelist whom i helped to ship but would a duelist be buried by the church 
in inviting his own death wouldn't he be committing suicide substantially wouldn't that rule him out well i don't remember how it was now but i think it was a duelist end of section thirty seven new york thursday eighteenth nineteen o six